Chapter 16 of Billy Whiskers, The Autobiography of a Goat. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Zachary Tellier. Billy Whiskers, The Autobiography of a Goat by Francis Trego Montgomery. Chapter 16. What Billy Did Thursday. Thursday, there was no performance, as the circus was to break camp and move to the next town, where they were to take the train for a large city. Here, they would meet the rest of the circus, which had been divided up into small bands and sent into the country, like the one Billy was now with. When they met in the city, all the companies joined forces. The elephant told Billy to wait and see what elegant performances they gave when they were all together. Why, he said, we have three rings, with acting going on in each one at the same time, and all the performers wear their best clothes and try their best to outshine each other. Besides, we have three or four times as many animal side tents as we do now. When we meet, I will introduce you to my chum, who is the oldest and largest elephant in the circus business. He is a fine fellow and tells a good story, and one could listen for hours to him telling of his adventures and experiences while in the jungle and traveling in this country. But it nearly makes him weep when he tells of how he was once the pet elephant of a prince of India, and how the prince would never ride any other but himself when hunting or riding in the royal processions. Only think of the come-down, he used to add, from having a prince of the royal blood on your back to a common circus rider in gaudy skirts. Then my blankets and trappings were of velvet, studded with real precious stones. Now they are velveteen, with glass to imitate the precious jewels. Oh dear, oh dear, that I should ever live to see this day. Here the elephant's conversation was cut short by someone screaming, Fire! Fire! Where? Where? called Billy, who was all excitement in a minute. And he started to run in the direction he heard the voice come from. But alas for Billy... He forgot he was tied, until he came to the end of his rope, and it gave him a quick jerk which sent him head over heels, breaking the rope. Gee whiz, I nearly broke my neck. Blame their old rope. Fire, 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 called the voice again, followed by a laugh. And Billy, looking up, saw a green pole parrot swinging on a rope overhead that commenced to call, April Fool, April Fool as loud as she could. How I do hate parrots and monkeys! I dare you to come down here, you disagreeable, impertinent, pea-green old mate of a bird, bleated Billy. He had hardly gotten the words out of his mouth when something struck him on the back and began to pull his hair out by the roots. It was Miss Polly, who had dropped like a torpedo and who was screeching, pecking and clawing at him at a great rate. She was in bad humor that day, as they had forgotten to feed her her accustomed crackers and coffee. As soon as Billy got over his surprise, which was in a second, he laid down and rolled. This knocked Polly off, but the minute he stopped, she flew onto his back again and pecked him until the blood ran. The second time she lit on his back, he thought of a way to get even. He saw the elephant's tub of water a little way before him, and with two bounds, he was by its side, and before Miss Polly was aware of what was up, she found herself doused in the tub, 
and when she came up from under the water, there was no goat in sight. As Billy went out from the tent, he ran into the animal keeper who was just coming in. Ho, ho, Master Billy, not so fast. I was coming to look for you, for we are about to start and you have a way of turning up missing, just when you're most wanted. As he said this, he caught hold of the piece of rope around Billy's neck that Billy had broken when he took his somersault, and said, Come along with me. I'm going to put you for once where you can't get out, no matter how hard you bite, chew, or kick. I wonder what he's going to do with me, thought Billy. But he soon found out, for the man led him to a vacant cage that a wildcat had died in the day before, and made him walk up an inclined board into it. Heavens, thought Billy, I'll never get out of here unless I die, and I'm carried out like the wildcat was. And if I don't die, I know I will go crazy, shut up in a little cooped-up place like this. With only room enough to take one step, and not enough to turn around, unless you turn yourself in sections. Well, Billy, how do you like being caged? asked the animal keeper. Yes, you vicious beast, you. How do you like being shut up where you can't butt and send people flying into mud puddles and chew up their wigs, etc.? asked the ringmaster who had joined the animal keeper. Oh, it's you, is it? Well, you just wait till I get out of here and see where I will butt you next time. And the animal keeper, too, bleated Billy, but neither of them understood what he said. When they left him alone, Billy tried every way he could think of to break out but he could make no impression on the iron bars. Chew as he would, in fact, he broke one of his teeth trying. Then he tried butting out the ends of the cage, but it was of no use. Next, he stood on his hind legs and tried to push the roof off with his long horns, but to no effect. So he lay down tired and broken-hearted on the hard bottom of the cage and gave himself up to the blues. He was laying there quietly, apparently asleep, when a man brought him a bundle of hay to eat, a bucket of water to drink, and a pitchfork of straw to lie on. Billy did not move when they brought the things, pretending to be asleep, but he was rudely awakened out of his supposed sleep by the man sticking the prongs of the pitchfork into him, to make him get up so that he could spread the straw on the bottom of the cage. He felt too disheartened to eat, especially food which he detested, but thought he would take a drink, as he was very thirsty. But at one smell of the bucket, he turned up his aristocratic nose, for he detected the bucket had not been washed, since it had been used by some of the other animals, for he could smell and see their hairs on the rim. So he lay down more disgusted than ever. Poor Billy's confinement was going to be hard for him. He had roamed the fields and towns master of himself too long to take being shut up easily. At last, Billy fell asleep and only awakened when they hitched the horses to the wagon-like cage he was in to draw it to the depot. Just before they started, he heard a man say, Here, you forgot to put up the sides on that cage with a goat in it. Then the man brought wooden sides and fastened them onto the cage over the iron bars. This left Billy only a little iron-barred opening near the top at one side to get air through. I shall surely smother, thought Billy. Oh, this is horrible! I feel as if I were buried alive. 
At that minute, the horses started up, and poor Billy went down on his knees with a sudden jerk. How I wish Nanny was here to comfort me, thought Billy. She was always so patient and cheerful. How like a man that was for Billy, to forget all about Nanny while he was free and having a good time. But the minute he was in trouble, to think of her, and be willing to have her shut up if he could only see her. After several hours of hard traveling, they stopped, and Billy knew they must be at the depot, for he heard the engines whistling and the bells ringing, and he was very glad of it, for his knees were all skinned from slipping on the floor from one end of the cage to the other when they went up or downhill, for it was impossible to stand, so he had to lay down and make the best of it. I never pitied caged animals before, thought Billy but I did not know what they had to endure, or I should. After a great deal of commotion, swearing and fussing on the part of the men outside, Billy's cage was at last on board, and the train started. Mercy, thought Billy, aren't they going to give me a drink of water, or something fresh and cool to eat? Do they expect me to eat that dried-up, tasteless, weedy hay this hot day? And as for the water, that got upset the first hill we went up. Oh dear, and to add to the rest of my troubles, I have got a cinder in my eye, along with this horrible dust that is blowing in that stuffy little window, and I know I'm going to be smothered to death. Oh, if Nanny were only here, to lick the cinder out of my eye. It's smart so. I wish I had hands instead of feet for once in my life, so I could get it out. I wonder if people ever think how inconvenient it is to not have hands sometimes. And poor Billy commenced to cry softly to himself. It was a good thing he did, for soon he cried the cinder out, and when his eye stopped hurting, he got some of his spunk back again, and began to plan some way of getting out of his cage. At twelve o'clock at night they reached the city, and were driven through the silent streets to a vacant lot where all the circus bands were to meet. And here, I will leave Billy until next morning. End of chapter 16